Today, we are happy to welcome Melissa C. to our meeting. Uh, Melissa first came to OA in 1992. Um, she left and then she returned. Um, she's from the Mid-Hudson Valley region of New York, and she lives just outside of Cornwell, New York. So, um, Melissa, we're so happy you are here. Um, we have You are going to be speaking for 30 minutes, and I'm going to give it over to you. Take it away. Summer, I'm going to set my timer right now. So, hi, my name is Melissa Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm in uh, Hudson Valley region of New York. And um, yeah, it's an honor and a privilege, always an honor and a privilege to speak. And, um, you know, this specific topic of relapse, um, I, most people who I've met in Overeaters Anonymous, um, they actually identify themselves as chronic relapsers. It seems to be, I think it is not part of recovery, but it is part of the fatal progression. And that I think is something very different. I thought for a long time that relapse was just part of recovery. Like that's just what happens in recovery. And that's actually not what happens in recovery. That's what happens if you have a progressive illness and you leave it untreated. And so um, what I believe relapse really is, is um, either you begin to treat this disease and then you stop, you know, and then, yeah, all the, all the symptoms come racing right back or um, you never actually treat it, what you might have been treating. And that was me for years. What I was always treating was um, a symptom of this disease. I was, I was like, you know, I was treating the symptoms of it. So if I had like a serious lung infection and I just took cough syrup, well, my cough might subside and I might say, oh, I'm getting better, but certainly that's not the treatment of the illness. And so it wouldn't, shouldn't be surprising you know, when symptoms get worse, right? If you never treated the disease. And so I think that's important. I think many of us um, actually have that experience, not really treating this disease. Um, you know, years ago when I was first asked to speak on this topic, um, I was given a, a paragraph that they wanted me to focus on. And it came from OA approved material from a plan of eating they actually sent me the paragraph um, and I, you know, I had, I had it here and it says, and it, it, it basically says relapse is not inevitable, right? Relapse is not inevitable. Um, and then the little blurb afterwards said, I had such a history of relapse that my sponsor said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. That meant drastic change in every area of my life one day at a time. My life was permeated by bad habits, Breaking bad habits can require lots of prayer and willingness. And at first, just driving past the restaurant or grocery store and heading for a safe place took every ounce of willingness I could muster. But every time I do that, it gets easier the next time. And just for today, I can do this. All of the power of the universe is behind every prayer. Every attempt to do things a little bit better today than I did yesterday it really is a new day. I now know what works and what doesn't, and I can for today be kind to myself and to my body. 
I can be my own best friend. Even if I'm taking baby steps in the direction of my dreams, I will get there. And that was the paragraph that I was asked to reflect on. And I, you know, and I think about that paragraph and that specific reading and this idea about being my own best friend. Like, I was like, oh, I, I like that, you know. And, and I have to tell you, I could use a statement like that in the most manipulative, dishonest way, you know, as carte blanche for doing all sorts of things that are outside of the way that I should be behaving and then saying, well, I'm not going to beat myself up over it. Right. And that, that for me was my old definition about what it would mean to be my best friend. Um, but, you know, I look at it today and I, I think, um, I have a much more loving and deep friendship and relationship with myself, truly, um, because I'm a child of an awesome God, you know, and um, he's the creator and I am his creation. I'm one of his many creations. And so I'm best to treat his creation with love and care. And for me, this means following a program, following the program, um, the 12 steps, you know, which includes not overfeeding or underfeeding my body, because I think it's flippant and actually uncaring to fill myself up with crap and then say, I'll treat myself kindly by being my best friend. You know, I won't beat myself up over it because a true best friend doesn't behave that way. You know, and that line that I really liked in that reading was all the power of the universe is behind every." Um, because that's the very thing I needed and I always need to keep uppermost in my mind um, because that's the foundation for being a true best friend to myself is, is first things first was just my relationship with my creator I cannot be anybody's friend if that primary relationship is not um, is not solid is not the, what I'm tethered to most of all. Um, you know, so what is relapse? I think it's important to even think like, what is a relapse anyway? Um, you know, it's a decline to degenerate, to revert and to set back. And, you know, and for us, it's pretty clear. What's a, what's a relapse? It's when um, you go back to the food, when you return to eating. Um, and people, you, we can call it all sorts of different things. So people say they had a slip, or they were being sloppy in their eating, they haven't been making great choices, they're overeating, but it's only on abstinent food. I think, you know, so much of this disease is dishonesty and denial. And so I would use softer terms to describe what was really happening. And anytime, you know, by the way, this is not, because um, I hear this a lot, well, I overate, but it was only on abstinent food. Okay, that's not abstinent. That's not abstinent because um, this is not sugar anonymous. That's not the program that I belong to. This isn't flour anonymous, you know, um, it's overeaters anonymous. So if I overeat or undereat, that's relapse, that's relapse. And I think, you know, the fear oftentimes of, of identifying it and saying it in what it really is, is because people then get this idea 
well, then I may as well go all the way out. If just overeating on blank is relapse, well, then, you know, I might as well just go out and eat the pizza, right? Um, and I've, I have believed that before as well. Um, so again, I would say there's no step one there because that's believing that you're making a choice to refrain from eating that pizza based on what you decided to call where you are in recovery. That's not a relationship with God. There's only one thing that can relieve me, that can keep me safe and protected. And the and it it's a spiritual experience. It's a spiritual experience sufficient to drive out the obsession to eat compulsively. That's about it. So, you know, um, there really are no slips. I hate to say it. People are like, usually, that, that usually pisses people off. They don't want to hear that there's no slips. There isn't a slip unless you fell. You know, I always say this, like if someone said they slipped, I say, oh my goodness, you fell and you landed on a cupcake. Like, is that what happened? You you slipped and your mouth was open and the food fell in because that, you know, it's not a slip. Now, does anybody ever accidentally ingest something that they shouldn't have, um, you know, maybe not reading the ingredients on something if that's where you are. And no, that's a different scenario. I believe that, you know, a true accident is something that we can approach from a different angle. I would not necessarily qualify an honest mistake that you confess immediately, that you take measures to be more careful about in the future. I wouldn't necessarily call that relapse, but being like, um, like not really taking seriously, lacking proportion, the severity of my disease, and then being surprised that I ate something, um, that actually is relapse, right? If I go in and just assume that everything in every place is something that I could eat, and I, you know, I used to love this idea, um, don't ask, just don't ask just don't ask. If I don't ask and I don't know that it doesn't count. Um, and that was the same like reasoning that I used to have that if I, you know, if I ate it at the counter, it didn't happen, right? If I ate it before I sat down at the table, then I wasn't really eating. Um, you know, so there are, it's not a slip and it's not sloppy eating, you know, like, just like someone says, well, I've been sloppy with my eating. Like I either say like, um, well, did you need napkins or are you not eating on your food plan? Like, let's call it, because when someone says that they're sloppy eating, it's code word in my, you know, in my experience, that's code for I ate too much food, right? Or I'm not measuring. That's really what that means. Um, you know, and also if someone says like, they're not making great choices, um, I, that's worrisome. When people say, I, to me, that's like more of a warning sign um, when I used to say that, because it sounds like, um, and, and the thought is, is that I have the ability to choose. Like that, that's, that was, I just made a bad choice. Um, and, and I think that sounds like someone who never really took step one. And I think that was my experience for years. I thought I took step one. Um, but if I say that I didn't really make good choices, 
um, that I haven't fully surrendered. I haven't conceded to my innermost self that I'm a real compulsive overeater who has no ability to choose. And that's really it. I really can't choose. Um, I've lost the power of choice. That's what the book tells us. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter, there's a solution. On page 24, it says, the fact is that for most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. So when I was saying that I didn't make a good choice, but I would choose better the next time, I was actually in greater danger um, than I ever imagined. Because so long as I believe that I can still control it, then there's, for me, there was no chance that I was going to work the rest of the steps as though I was a person who had zero control anymore and that I just needed to give everything over. Um, you know, okay, overeating on abstinent food, you know, the doctor's opinion is really clear about the allergy of the body. And yet, and yeah, most of us have specific food allergies, you know, allergic foods, things that trigger the allergy just from ingesting it in any form. And I think that's an important aspect too, in any form at all. Um, but it's important to note, like I said before, that we're Overeaters Anonymous, not Sugar Anonymous, and not White Flour Anonymous. Um, and and the, those foods might be common culprits for many of us. But for me, the action that I'm addicted to is eating the wrong amount of food for my body's overall health and well-being. That's my, that's my addiction. And I think about it like this, you know, um, if someone were a gambler, um, they might not necessarily have a, um, an allergy to money, but they have an allergy to handling money incorrectly. And I would say for compulsive overeaters, I have both. <laughs> I have both. I have an allergy to specific ingredients but I have an allergy to handling even ingredients I don't have a problem with in specific ways. So overeating is one of those ways and undereating. Quick fixes and schemes and diets were just as much a part of the mental obsession as was the binge for me. Um, because I found out that I trigger an allergic response when I when I deny myself food, every time that I have um, eaten less than I should be eating, it always ends with a binge. It, it triggers a response in me that any time that I have, um, you know, um, under eaten, restricted, it always comes back with a binge. And just so you know, like, I, you know, I don't know, um, my my own personal experience, you know, you're like, okay, what is this woman talking to us about? What qualifies her to be an expert in any of this? Um, I'm going to give you like a quick qualification of who I am and what qualifies me. Um, I've been a compulsive overeater, I think my entire life. I have dieted at times, and I have, um, you know, binged at times. My weight has fluctuated drastically. My top weight was over 300 pounds. Um, my lowest weight, I was like maybe 14 and I was the same height as me. I'm, I'm five, five. 
Um, my lowest weight was under 120, which for me is emaciated. Like I, that is never where I should ever be. And by the way, I was there for like a hot minute because a period of restriction for me always ends with, with a binge. And so um, I, um, I've been dieting my entire life, just my whole life. And um, I think really what happened, um, I've always had an unnatural response to food. Um, it never, ever, ever felt like enough. No matter what I was given on my plate, I was always thinking about when am I going to get more and when am I going to get more when I'm full. It was always an act that was best taken in isolation. And I've been sneak eating and hiding um, secretly since I was a very, very little girl. One of my earliest memories is creeping into the kitchen at night. I could walk down the hall in my house without any lights on, knowing which floorboards would creak. I could open the refrigerator just to crack, to stick my little fingers in there to get to the cake um, without the lights coming on in the refrigerator. That's one of my early memories. Um, and um, about the time I was 14, I went on a very strict diet of my own. <laughs> Um, I didn't eat and I got real thin for a minute, a minute. Um, and I got tons of attention and praise. It was like, I remember thinking, this is amazing. Everybody's like, you know, I was it. Um, I did not eat to sabotage myself. I am certain. I ate because I ate something that triggered a response in me. And I remember coming home on a particular day, there was something in the freezer and I decided I was going to eat it. And I ate it and I ate the box and then I was off. And I want to tell you that day I crossed a line. I could not get back on that other diet again. The one that I had starved myself down so that my experience was in high school, I gained a hundred pounds and just as much attention as I got when I got really skinny, I got a lot of attention when I got really thin and it wasn't good. You know, it was humiliating. It was, it was a horrible experience to grow up a teenager who went from hot, you know, in my mind, hot to not. Um, and people were cruel. People said all kinds of things. People who loved me said all kinds of things in an effort to help me. Um, and none of them knew that I had, I had something that was beyond their ability to help me. Um, and so this went on for many, many years. I would diet and gain, and diet and gain, and diet and gain. Came into Overeaters Anonymous in my early 20s, and I found out about um, the allergy. And I was like, oh my God, this makes perfect sense. And I was given a big book, um, and I scanned it for the diet, and I didn't find it. So the big book I shoved in a drawer, could not figure out where is the diet in this thing. Um, but I was also handed a particular sheet, and the sheet, told me exactly what to eat. It had told me what to do and how to live with food. And I, I worshiped, I worshiped that abstinence. That was the food plan. I would say the food plan was the religion I practiced. And my God was, sorry, my God was abstinence. That's, that's what my program was. Um, and that, you know, um, worked for a time. 
it worked until it didn't work. Um, and, you know, what happened for me was I got all the things that brought me into recovery. I got thin <laughs> on that food plan. Um, abs worshiping abstinence got me. I wanted a job. You know, I was, I had graduated from college. I wanted a better job than the one I had. I wanted to meet a man. That was really my motivation. I wanted to get married. I wanted to meet a man. I wanted a better job. I wanted to have my own place. I didn't want to be a baby in my parents' house anymore. And um, and I couldn't, felt like I couldn't get that in my fat body. That's really what it felt like for me. And I got all those things. <laughs> I was given all those things. And, and you know, here's what happened. Um, on my beautiful honeymoon, I picked up a drink. And I would have told you that was a relapse. But the truth is, I never had a spiritual awakening. I did some kind of weird program. It was definitely in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, but it was very food-centered. Um, and it was very, it was very um, people-worshipped. It was like, I had a sponsor. I did anything she told me to do without ever questioning. I, you know, she told me to do something. I did it because she was thin. That was really it. That was what I worshipped. You know, and so um, I believed at that point that I could grow legs, that I, I believed I grew legs. And, you know, in the chapter more about alcoholism on page 30, it says, um, we are like men who have lost yeah. their legs. We never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We've tried every imaginable remedy. <clears throat> in some instances, there's been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Um, physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree that there's no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So, you know, if you're, if you're here because you identify as a relapser, okay, how do you avoid a relapse then? What can you do? And I think it's essential that one understands and believes in their very heart that this disease is permanent, it's progressive, and it's fatal. You know, I didn't know that. I thought I cured it. I thought because I was thin on a honeymoon, I didn't have this thing anymore, you know? Um, and, you know, to gain recovery and to come back after a relapse, it's also crucial to understand that the relapse, again, like I said, is not part of recovery, but it's part of the fatal progression. And this is the subtle thought. You know, we're told there's a, this is a subtle foe that we're up against because the sufferer of relapse often doesn't even realize they're in relapse until the consequences are apparent, until it's blatant consequences. Um, because it's easy to fool oneself if your weight hasn't increased. But the progressive nature of this disease means that without a sufficient spiritual experience, connection, that itchy, irritable, and discontent feeling becomes more intense and frequent over time, and the allergy becomes more sensitive. That's what it means to have a progression. My sensitivity for me has spread to foods that once were not problems. That's the truth for me. You know, things that I used to be able to eat, I can't anymore. Ways that I used to be able to eat, I can't anymore. Um, you know, but I here's the good news, my spiritual relationship my spiritual recovery has also progressed and that's the only thing that can keep us 
you know, safe and protected. You know, my the reason I um thought, I think also that I picked up on that honeymoon was I believed that my problem was entirely a food problem. Remove the food, eliminate the food, problem solved. Um, but I failed to understand the most essential piece of information. And and that is, and there's a solution on page 23, that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. So here I was, by the way, on that honeymoon, I knew I had a problem once I ate certain foods. I knew that. I knew that well enough that I had been able to follow that food plan for five years and never wavered, right? I had years of experience to inform me, and yet I seemed to have no ability to call upon this experience to keep me in check. We call that that strange mental blank spot. It was just gone. You know, I was unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness, this is on page 24, with sufficient force, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago without defense against that first drink. You know, um, you know, why did I relapse then at that point? Well, I'd say because I suffer from a form of food senility. That's the only way I could describe it. I barely can remember just how bad it gets, just how dangerous my food problem is um, and that certain food, you know, um, behaviors are for me. What happened for me was I looked around on that honeymoon. I saw other honeymooning couples who looked like me who were eating. They were drinking something that I know I can't drink any, and I did. And that was it. And I'm not someone who, um, you know, when I go out, I go out. Nothing fit me by the end of that honeymoon. But how do I know that I'm really powerless? Is that I would have told you on that honeymoon, no worries, no worries. Monday morning, I will get right back on. But Monday morning, I was more powerless than I had ever been in my life. So that I went home and I bought all the foods that I needed and they rotted in my refrigerator because I was a magnet being pulled in my car to every drive-thru. And that continued week after week after week. So the same way that I gained weight in high school, I gained weight in my early marriage, early years of my marriage. And humiliating, yeah, painful, embarrassing, abusive to my marriage. I, I think I was abusive to my marriage and I continued to hold my wonderful husband hijack to my um, constant trying to manage and control this thing. You know, um, and I want to say, here's the crazy thing. You know, that same thing that happened to me on my honeymoon, I came back to the rooms of Old Readers Anonymous many years later. And I know I'm like close to my, I'm looking at my time at three minutes. So I want to kind of wrap this up. And I knew at that point that I needed to um, do something different. I knew it. I was, I was at a real painful point in my life. Um, and I began to work the steps. But I didn't make all the amends I needed to make. That's a warning. And I did not resolve all the resentments that I still had bubbling under me. There were some things that I said, I will never get over. 
I am entitled to feel pissed off about that. I'm entitled to feel afraid of that, you know? And if that's what you believe you're entitled to, you can have it. You can have it all. Um, so I, that same thing that happened to me, I began to work in recovery. I had gotten some, I had made some progress. Um, and I went on a vacation with my husband and I did the same exact thing that I had done all those years ago. Because again, what I suffer from is a strange mental blank spot. And I would have told you on that on that trip, this is just a trip with my husband. No worries. I will um, easily, I got two minutes left. I will easily be able to figure this out when we get back from the trip. It was like, it was like all those experiences I could not learn from my own experience. That's something else that I found out about me. I am unteachable from my own experiences. My experiences don't seem to inform my behavior. What's interesting though, is that your experiences can. I don't understand how it works, but my own experiences teach me nothing, but your experiences teach me everything. Um, and really what happened um, was I surrendered completely. You know, it took another 10 months. And in that time of that particular relapse, by the way, I never returned to the sugar. I never returned to the ice cream, the cookies, the candies, the whatever. But I'm telling you, I was in a full blown relapse because I can eat so-called abstinent food in a way that I bust out of my clothes. That's the way. But this disease is so cunning, so baffling, so powerful that I kept telling myself I wasn't in danger until I was in serious danger. And then what's the solution? Complete surrender. Complete surrender, not to human power, but to a relationship with God. That is my full surrender. Um, and what's happened for me in my last 15 seconds, I'm going to say is, I have had a profound spiritual experience where I feel God has entered my heart and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. And um, with that, I will pass. Thanks.